Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. In this annual series called Live Love, we are reminded of why we exist. Vintage Church exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For us to continue what Jesus started, for us to genuinely live and love like Him, some things have to happen in us. Jesus prayed for those things in John chapter 17. Through this series, Pastor Matt Smith helps us analyze this prayer, which reveals how to live and love like Jesus and demonstrates His desire to unleash heaven on earth through His followers. We are glad that you're here. Um, If today is your first time worshiping with us, uh, we're glad you're here. We realize that you could be a lot of other places, and we are honored that you would choose to come and worship in this place. And it doesn't matter if you remember my name or you remember anything else about this service other than like God was here and he met with you. And that's our hope and that's our prayer. Amen. Amen. That God just shows up in a real and authentic and powerful way. And if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've just kind of showed up at our church uh, this series, you picked a really good time to come because annually we pause to be reminded of our why. Because the further you get from when something began, the easier it is to drift from why it started. And so annually we pause and we do a series called Live Love because in those two words, it kind of encompasses why we exist as a church. And we exist for one reason. And that's to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. That is why we're here. That is why this church exists. And that will never change. Like everything that we do, our hope is that it in some form or fashion inspires the people that were touched by that event or that gathering or that life group or whatever it might be to walk away inspired to live more and more and more and more like Jesus every single day. Because that's what God wants for you. I know there's probably a lot of people in the room at some point in your life, you've looked at God and said, God, what do you want from me? Amen. Anybody? The rest of y'all are liars. They all ask that question. (laughs) Like at some point, right, you looked at God and like, God, what, what do you really want from me? What is it do you want from me and for my life? And I can, I can answer that question for you. He wants you to live in love like Jesus. Like, in Jesus, you can find the answer to the question, what God wants for you. Like, how does he want you to live? How does he want you to love? How, what kind of relationship does he want with you? You can find it in the life of Jesus. See, Jesus came to this planet and ushered something brand new into this world. Like, Jesus came in and he radically changed everything. And see, like, you, you never lived in a world that didn't have Jesus in it. And even if you're not a believer, even if you've never chosen Jesus, like, like you, you have still been impacted by his reality. Come on. Like even if you're sitting here and you're still kind of the verdict is out on this whole Jesus stuff and you're wondering why this guy is up there with a pair of Vans on yelling at me. Like you've been impacted by Jesus. But see, you got to understand when Jesus stepped into this planet, the world he encountered had never known anything like him. Like, even, even the Jewish faith, which was the, the, the faith that Jesus was born into and the faith that Jesus practiced, even that faith, even that religion in its day was different than pretty much every other religion. When Jesus came into this planet, most people believed in multiple gods. 
like, like every, in every culture kind of had its own set of gods. And they had a god for everything. The sun came up, there must be a sun god that made that sun come up. The moon came up, there must be a moon god. The grass grew, there must be a grass god. There's a banana in that tree, there must be a banana god. And Jesus comes in into this faith where there was just one God. One. Creator of everything. And unlike the other gods that all these people worshipped, this was a singular God who was not distant and looking to control all of that he created, but was looking to live in relationship with it. See, y'all don't have, man, that's good. That's better than y'all amen. And I'm, come on, I get, like, not only was there not just these multiple gods that were disinterested in you and just wanting to control everything, this was a real, personal, living, active God. And when Jesus ushered into this planet, he even wrecked the Jewish people. Because he said, not only is there just this one God, this one God wants a relationship with you, an intimate relationship, so intimate that you can, you can call him Abba. And when Jesus came to this planet, he began to show us the kind of relationship that we could have with God. Like he demonstrated that in how he prayed to him and how he walked with him, how he lived in obedience with him. And of course, he, he died on the cross so that we could experience that same kind of relationship that Jesus has with him, that, that we can have that kind of relationship too, that it wasn't just uh, limited to, to just Jesus or even to just Jewish people, but every human that would ever be born could have the kind of relationship with God that Jesus had. And in that, he, he ushered in something new and something beautiful. And I just wonder, maybe like there's times that, that we've known about this our whole lives. Or maybe somebody like me who was born in the church and known Jesus my whole life, that we take for granted the beauty of what we get to have with him. Like maybe we've just been saved a little too long. We've forgotten the beauty of what we get to experience with our God. Come on, somebody. Amen. And he ushered in something new. And what he ushered in, he didn't want to die with him. Like he wanted every person that would come through this planet to be told about this story, about who he was and who he is and what he's made possible. He wanted everybody to know that they could also have a relationship with God, that their sins could also be forgiven, and that they could also live the way God intended humanity to live as it had been seen in Jesus. So what he did was he established this thing called the church. And the church would be the vehicle that would take that message to the world from generation to generation. Like he established this vehicle that's known as the church. And the church's job, its, its sole purpose would be to make known all that Jesus had done and all that Jesus had said and all that Jesus had made possible. And he handed it to this ragamuffin group of guys in Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, Go. And everything you've seen me do and everything you've heard me say and all the things that I've taught you and all the ways you've seen me live, like you go tell other people. Like your job now is to, I have inspired you to live in love the way God wanted you to live in love. And now what your job will be is to inspire other people to do the same. And right then, the church got its purpose. 
And it will always be its purpose. Our job is to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. Because when you live and love like Jesus, you really live. Like, like, there is no life outside of a relationship with Jesus. You have never lived until you've lived with him, Lord, of your life. And if you say, well, my, my grandma lived like Jesus, or, or my, I, I've seen other people who lived like Jesus, and that didn't seem too fun. They didn't do it right. There's nothing more fun and fulfilling and powerful than walking hand in hand with Jesus as God of your life. Come on, somebody. And, the, and we get to make that known to people. We get to help, we get to, to live in such a way that it influences other people to step from death to life like we have. And the best way to do that, the best way to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, really, it, it, I told you last week, it's not all the cool stuff we do in here. It, it's just a tool. We leverage all this. It's awesome. Like, the best way to, to inspire people to live in love like Jesus is really not through a worship gathering or through any, any other thing that happens in here. The best way to inspire people to live in love like Jesus is to live in love like Jesus. Amen. Like when you and I make the decision that we are actually authentically, consistently, through the power of the Holy Spirit, going to live our lives the way Jesus lived his life. Every place we step our foot, that's what changed the world. Jesus didn't change the world with a worship gathering. Jesus didn't change the world with a calendared event. Jesus didn't change the world with a trunk or treat. Jesus didn't change the world with a play. Jesus didn't change the world. Jesus changed the world by living the way God intended us to live every single moment, with every single encounter, with every engagement and every conversation. That's how Jesus changed the world. And I think we should learn something from him. Come on. Like, it, well, it's great what we do here, but you do realize we gather in order to send. We gather in order to send. Like, we've gathered here today to hear something from God's word that will motivate us and shape us and change us and push us closer to living the way Jesus lives so that when you walk out there, you can actually be the church. We do, the, we do church so that you can be the church. And if all we do is do church and it's not leading to being the church then we're not really doing anything. I said last week that, that for us to accomplish his mission, that I have to reflect his model. If we're going to accomplish his mission, I have to reflect his model. If we're going to accomplish his mission, I have to reflect his model. When we reflect his model, we accomplish his mission. And I also remind us, like, Jesus is the way in every way. And to know his ways, i got to study his word. That we need to reflect the right Jesus, not the cultural, comfortable Jesus, the real Jesus of the Bible. And the only way to reflect the Jesus of Scripture is actually to read Scripture. If we're going to consistently walk in His ways, we have to daily read His Word. And I'm convinced that when we do that, and we leave this place, and we step out into the world that God has put us in, and we're actually living and loving like Jesus in our neighborhoods, and in our homes, and in our schools, and all the other places that we place our foot, and we're starting to reflect the life of Jesus, people are going to look at us and be like, what happened to her? Something has gotten into him, and they're going to take notice, and they're going to come to you, and they're going to say, what happened to you? And that's going to open up the door for you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
and help them engage with the God that you found and help them to find him too. Woo! And, and that's got to happen all the time everywhere. Like, it, it can't just happen when we give you opportunities for it to happen. Like, we're about to give you an awesome one, man. We're about to do these Thanksgiving meals. And if you've never been around for that, you need to be a part of this. Testify somebody in the room. Like, you need to be a part of this. Because what, what gives you, I mean, we actually go and we hand deliver meals to families all across our county. Somebody asked me the other day, like, well, now that we got a building, we're just going to start having a meal here and have people come to us. Why do we always expect people to come to us and we're never willing to go to them? Why have we gotten into that mindset? No, we're not going to do that. We're going to go to them. We're going to go to where they are. Because remember that verse I just read? It said, go. <laughs> Didn't say stay and make disciples. He called us to go. And let me tell you something. That Tuesday night, and you could, you could grab some people and hear some stories. When you send, we send out from this place and you walk into the home of a family who part of our culture and our society has decided to overlook and we get to step in their home and remind them that we have not forgotten about you. And even though you're in a tough season and you're hurting and you're struggling, there's still a church in this community that cares and notices and sees you. And you get to step into that home. So that Tuesday night, you need to be here. You need to deliver meals. If you've got to work, quit. I'm not serious. Don't quit your job. <laughs> Find a way to get off and be here. Because when we, when we go into the community and we live and love like Jesus, it makes a difference. And I believe that when we do that, when like we as one body collectively make that decision together, I'm going to live and love like Jesus everywhere I go. When we, when we as one make that decision and we operate that way and we step out of this building week in and week out, and we don't realize, okay, we just had church, now let's go be the church, then we can do something powerful. But I think, I think as one, as, as one body, that's how we make it happen. When, when the church is one and the church is united under the same purpose, under the same mission, that's when we make a difference. And I think that's why Jesus prays what he prays in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, Jesus, before he's going to be arrested, before he goes to the cross, before he does all this stuff, he pauses to pray for the church. And several times in that prayer, multiple times in that prayer, he prays for oneness among his body. Let me show you. Look at John chapter 17. Pick up with verse 11. Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Notice what Jesus prays. Protect them so that they may be one as we are one. All throughout this prayer, Jesus talks about, God, me and you are one, and we're in harmony, and we're in unity together, and let my, the people that are following me, the people that I'm about to hand this movement to, and not only them, but those who will believe in their message, let them be one, let them be united with us, and let them be united to one another. Drop down to verse 26. Jesus says, I have made known to them, I have made you known to them, 
and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Like all throughout this prayer, Jesus prays for oneness, for unity. And I think the reason why he does this is because he knew that there would be threats to our oneness. And I would submit to you that the, the main reason why the church in my lifetime has failed to be effective in the mission is because of division. Like in my lifetime, if I could describe the church as I saw it growing up, Divided would be the best word I could use. Come on. There may not be a more divided so-called body of anything than the church. We've even invented ways to separate ourselves. Think about it. Over the years, look at how the body of Christ has gone to great lengths to divide itself, to separate itself. All throughout history, it's like we've, we've set up these little bitty camps and we've elevated certain things to be important that aren't important. But we've said, no, they are important and we're going to fight for these things. And if you're not going to fight for these things, then you're not a part of us. And we're going to take our little huddle of people and we're going to separate from y'all and go start our own new huddle of people. And what was one church in one spot is now five churches in the same spot. Because somewhat along the way, people got angry. And feelings got hurt and people got offended or people decided that this specific thing in God's word was somehow more important and we needed to hang our hat on that thing instead of this thing. And next thing you know, we started creating things, we started drawing lines like denominations. I think it's interesting that denomination sounds a lot like demonization. And we started drawing these lines And it wasn't all for one in Christ. It was Methodist and Baptist and Pentecostal and Quaker. And then I could just go on and on and on. And we created these little camps. And we started thinking we were better than the others. Because we're more holy. And we have the greater gifts. And then we even, and so we started competing against each other. And instead of one solid united vehicle carrying the gospel, we became these little segment, segregated groups of people that began to work and function in competition with one another. And instead of fighting our real enemy, we began to argue and battle and bicker amongst ourselves. And I think it breaks the heart of God. I think God looks down and says, what are y'all doing? I prayed that this wouldn't happen. Before I was arrested and before I went to the cross, one of the last things I prayed was that y'all would be one because I knew he would try to divide y'all. I knew he would try to get you to fight against each other because if you're fighting against each other, you're not fighting him. And so we started creating these little... And then, and then we even started deciding what was a church and what wasn't. Y'all don't even have a staple. 
or pews. And you call yourself a church. There ain't even an organ on that platform over there at that Venice church. <laughs> the preacher wears vans and jeans. <laughs> and we started, and I'm thinking, now I think there's a reason why Jesus told us why to do church and never really went into how to do it. Because the why is what matters. The how is really insignificant. And the how can and needs to be and will be different from generation to generation and culture to culture. And you know what? The way that we do church is not the only way to do church. There's tons of ways to do church that's going to reach people. And tons of ways that are effective. I'm telling you, to this day, you hit me with some how great their art and victory in Jesus and he touched me and I will get down. Doesn't matter. But here's what I'm wondering is, why do you think God stopped writing hymns 50 years ago? We're going to finish with one today that if it ain't a hymn, ain't never one been written. So will I. Get ready. <laughs> but see, this is what we need to know. Division is the greatest threat to the mission. Because where division lingers, mission gets lost. Where division lingers, mission gets lost. Now, we're, we're going to disagree. Come on. You get three people in a room, you're going to have an argument sooner or later. Like, we're gonna, but where it lingers, where it's allowed to fester, where it's allowed to create anger and bitterness and divide people among the body of Christ, where division lingers, mission gets lost. And let me just say that we're going to be a body, we're going to be a church that does not allow that to happen. We're going to guard against it. We're going to protect it. Which means, you know what, there's some things we ain't arguing with you about. We have people that show up every now and want to argue about some stuff. You know what we say? It's probably you better go, you might need to go to another church. Because we're not going to fight about certain things. Because it's not worth it. It's not worth the energy. And I know everybody and their brother has an opinion about what we should do and that kind of stuff. And... But here's, and here's another thing, too. I think one of the reasons it's fostered this is kind of the way we've done church. The church is not a democracy. That's true. We ain't voting on everything that we do. I'm sorry. Because I don't think the Bible set it up that way. Can you imagine when, every time Jesus wants to do something, he says, all right, disciples, y'all, who, all in favor, say aye. Or if Moses, as he was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, all right, all in favor, say aye, they'd still be lost. We're not going to fight it. And here's another thing. Too, like, we will go to war over biblical principles, but we will not fight over personal preferences. Listen, don't get it twisted, all right? That's still saying. Don't, don't get it. There are certain things that matter. There are certain things that are immovable in, in the word of God that we will not move from, we will not waver from, that we will fight for tooth and nail. There are main things, absolute truths, Biblical principles. Everybody say amen. amen. But that's not what we fight over most often. It's the little personal preferences, the little bitty things that the enemy tries to just scatter about. And we're not going to fight over that stuff. I'm not saying you, you, can, you can think different. That's okay. But we're not going to fight about it. I love you too much. And you should love me too much for us to fight about it. And if you determine that something that I don't think is important, is too important to fight about, go fight with another preacher. 
Because where division lingers, mission gets lost. And I think that's why all throughout Scripture from Jesus and all throughout, the, the, as it talks about the church, we, it, it, it calls for unity. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 24. It says, if the kingdom of God is divided against itself, if, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. He has come to his end. In other words, where there's division, things won't last. Like when there's division, it kills the movement. It kills the mission. It destroys it where division lingers. And I think that's why everywhere you see Paul write a letter, all throughout the New Testament, you know what Paul did was Paul planted churches and then later he would write letters to these churches. Come on, you with me? Like he would write letters to these churches addressing issues. And I don't think you can find a single letter that Paul wrote where he doesn't address the issue of unity. Where he doesn't call for unity. Let, let me read you just a couple. Look at Romans chapter 16. Pick up with verse 17. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the, name of the Lord, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Ephesians chapter 4, pick up verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Like all throughout the New Testament, you see this call to be unified because if we're going to really make a difference in this community, if we're going to really make a difference in this world, if we're really going to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, we got to be together. we got to be unified. we got to be one. It's got to be about his mission and not my agenda. So I started thinking, like, what is it, what is it that creates division? What, what causes division? And what I've usually discovered, like, it's, 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 it's about a disposition of the spirit. And I would, I would submit to you that every time division pops up among the body, it's because of this. It happens when my position matters more than his mission. That's good. In just about every situation where division is born in a church, it's when we elevate our position over his mission. When it comes more about my position, then it's his mission. In the form of, it's more about my position on the kind of music we should do. My position on the color of the church and its pews. Should they be like pea green or ugly red? I don't know which one. When, my like when it's about my position on all these different subjective things, when that becomes more important than his mission, the mission gets lost. When my position matters more than his mission, that's when division gets created because when I'm not getting my way, when I'm not in the position that I want to be in. Or it's even more this. Like one of the things that's created this too is somewhere along the way, we began to elevate certain positions in the church as if they mattered more. As if, as if, if every contribution to the kingdom didn't have equal value. God's economy don't work like that, church. See, any and every contribution made to the kingdom is of equal value. 
when it's for his glory and for his purpose, it has value. But somewhere along the way, we started elevating people like me and putting people like me on a pedestal. Do not put me on a pedestal. I will fall off of it in a hurry. I will disappoint you. I will discourage you. I will let you down. I am not God. I'm called to serve him in a little bit different way than you are. But it doesn't mean what I do is any more valuable than what you do. See there, whether it be standing up here preaching his word or standing over here and playing a guitar or somebody on their knees changing the diaper of one of your kids right now or standing in that room back there teaching them what it means to know Jesus or standing right there and holding the door and greeting you with a smile or welcoming you as you pull in the parking lot. Every single position matters. Everyone. See... Every position matters because every position has purpose. And every person has potential. When you serve God with everything that you have, and you make a genuine effort to contribute to his kingdom, it doesn't matter the position. It's the mission that matters. And see, Jesus dealt with this very same thing in his own day with the religious people. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Pick up with verse 5. It says, they make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the places of honor and banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. See, Jesus said the problem with the religious people of your day is become more about position than mission. Like it's about their seats and their titles and their robes and all these things. And it's about all these appearances and their position has become elevated over the mission of God. But Jesus didn't, it wasn't just the religious people of, of Jesus' day. He had to deal with it among his own disciples. See, as humans, we have this temptation to jockey for position in everything. Like we're just competitive by nature. And that spirit doesn't break us, or it doesn't get broken from us. Sometimes we come to the church and we start jockeying for position. We're like, well, this is what I did in my last church. This is what I want to do at this church. Well, this is what I want to do. And if I can't do this, I just won't do nothing. Look at Mark, chapter 10. Check out this interaction that Jesus had with one of the original, or two of the original 12. Mark, chapter 10, verse 35. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Awesome. Can you imagine if one of your kids came up and said that to you? Backhand across the foot. Never mind. I mean, really, Jesus, we want you to do something. What's that? Whatever we want. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Like they're already jockeying for position. Like what we want is one of us wants that position and the other wants that position. One of us wants on the left, one of us wants on the right. Verse 38, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? We can. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. See, when they started jockeying for position, it affected all the rest of them. You with me? You follow me? Say amen. amen. Like it's the same way in the church. 
What created division among the original 12? See, like in that moment when, when James and John made the decision to go to Jesus and start to jockey for position, it automatically put the other ones on the defense. And that's what's happened in the church. As people have walked in and started to jockey for position, and it's become more about your position than God's mission. And Jesus has been trying to counteract this in his movement from the onset. Again, look at, go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. It says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Can you imagine this argument? I'm the greatest. No, oh, man, I'm not, I, like, it's me. You see what I did yesterday? You see, like, Jesus asked me for something, and I, I gave it to him. Like, I'm, I, I'm Jesus' favorite. Verse 47. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me for it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest the one who is least among you is the greatest verse 49 check this out verse 49 master said john look they just they just overlook it they don't even acknowledge that they're like okay new question verse 49 master said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Like we saw somebody doing some really good stuff that we're supposed to be doing, but they're not a member of our club yet, so we told them they better quit. They ain't part of us. We the 12. Like from the onset, we've tried to decide who can and can't be a part because it's all about, because you know, I think they, they thought, well, if they can drive out demons and, and, and we can drive out demons, like maybe we're not as important as, as we thought we were. And here's the answer, you're not. Verse 50, don't stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. What would happen if his mission was more important than my position? If we stopped elevating our positions over his mission. And actually as one body, I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church, began to drop the dom denominational lines and stop dividing ourselves by stupid little things that we've allowed to separate us. What if we as one body, one unit, one group, us under the umbrella of Jesus' follower, all saved by his blood, began to live on mission every single day, inspiring people to live and love like Jesus by actually living, loving like Jesus everywhere we set our foot. Church, I've always believed that God wanted to do something special through this body. And that's not going to happen just by doing stuff in here and making this space cooler. And, and all those are tools, and we're going to do that and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, that if we're going to change the world, then we as one body have to leave this building every single Sunday determined to live and love like Jesus everywhere we place our foot. To actually authentically, sincerely begin to live in communion with God constantly and engage other people with kindness and love There's somebody in your circle that is waiting on you to demonstrate the, to them what it means to know Jesus. 
because they need to know him too. There's a world out there that's as broken and hurting and lost as ever. And we're not going to scare them into heaven. We can't get them to find hope if we won't engage them. And when we engage them, if we don't engage them, infused by the power of the Holy Spirit, living and loving like Jesus, we'll do more harm than good. This is the ninth time we've done this. Let's get it right. You bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Father, we, we want to make a difference. And God, thank you for reminding us that we can't make a, a difference while being divided. That God, if we'll come together as one body, each individual in it determined to allow your spirit to infuse us with strength and power and wisdom so that when we step out into the world, we are in communion with you, we are living close to you, we're in intimacy with you, and you are giving us the strength and power and wisdom we need to live and love like Jesus, the model that you've shown us. God, Jesus changed the world one conversation at a time, one encounter at a time. And God, yes, we love the fact that we get together and we come and we get under this roof and we worship and we're inspired. But God, now we don't want to just do church. We want to be the church. Help us to own that, God. Help us to step out of this building week in and week out, determined to live and love like Jesus so that we can inspire others to do the same. And God, as we worship you, I pray that your spirit would speak to us, minister to our hearts, and challenge us to live the way you've called us to live and change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.